0: Hello, this is Richard Outram, and welcome to the Prepare for Growth podcast series, bite sized wisdom for leadership and personal development. So, thank you for taking time out to join me. I'm so grateful for this unique opportunity. Okay, and in this week's podcast, I'm thrilled to introduce Jeff Levine, co founder, president, and chief extract officer of Raw Juice. Jeff is an experienced founder with a demonstrated 30 plus years of experience working in the restaurant industry. Skilled in negotiations, business planning, operations management, coaching and concept creation, Jeff is a strong entrepreneurship professional with a CFE focused in franchising and franchise operations from Nova Southeastern University. He is also CEO and founder of Salad Creations, the founder and co-creator of Brother Jimmy's Barbecue in New York, and the Bay Club in the Hamptons, and the founder of Lulu's Bay Shack. Jeff, I'm so thrilled to have you on this episode. I, uh, we've had a few conversations. I visited the opening at Raw Juice. By the way, Raw Juice is a favorite of my wife and I, so I can't wait to get started. Is there anything you'd like to, to add further in, in terms of your bio? No.
1: Well, first off, Richard, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. You know, Your energy is um, coming through the, the microphone here. So it's starting my, my morning out in a great way. So I appreciate that. Um, no, I think you did a great job nailing my bio there. I've uh, definitely have a ton of experience in opening and creating concepts and, and growing through franchising and through corporate stores. And I have learned a lot in my 31-year career.
0: All right, okay, and so Jeff's key wisdom bite for today is the formula for franchise success. Great systems and lots of passion.
1: That's right. So I think when it comes to franchising, and, and I just just to be clear, I kind of learned this the hard way, right? I, I learned this by making mistakes. So I don't want it to come off like you know I'm I'm this perfect uh Guy that's never had any issues in his business career. I've certainly had many challenges that I've learned from in my business career. And franchising was something that was new to me when I I started franchising Salad Creations in 2006. And I had learned a lot about franchising. And I really threw myself into franchising and got my CFE at at Nova University. And um, really got to experience firsthand what not to do in franchising. And where that you know that's really helped me with uh, raw juice and with the plan that we have going forward. And when you're franchising and you're turning your brand that you've worked so hard to build over to somebody else, you know the key is finding people that are extremely passionate about your brand and your product. You know, obviously the the, the basics like location, 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 finding the right location um and making sure that we've got these systems and the people in place to support those franchisees to to ensure that they can grow and be successful because their success is our success
0: awesome all right so we're going to hit three key areas what have you learned what would you change what are you grateful for and then we'll have a quick run okay jeff and so let's kick it off let's kick it off and let's talk about uh you know the life cycle and the conception of raw juice all right and so there's a connection between what we put in our bodies and the strength of our immune systems, overall health and life expectancy. Jeff, tell us about the story of co-founder Barry Rapkin and the origins of raw juice.
1: So we opened the first raw juice in October of 2013, which is actually eight years ago this week. And Barry Rapkin, who was a neighbor of mine, uh, was diagnosed at actually the end of 2009 with thyroid cancer. He was a, a healthy guy. We live in a neighborhood that has a big, what they call a loop, like a circle around it that's about two and a half, three miles long. And a lot of people jog and walk the loop. And he, Barry used to walk the loop for hours every day. He was a semi-retired Wall Street guy. Um, and he used to work on the phone as he would walk around the loop uh, every day. And um, he got thyroid cancer and he stopped walking. You know, He was definitely depressed about it and it was going through a tough time. And he met a a uh, holistic health coach. Now, you got to remember, 2009 was a very different time than it is now. There were not a lot of holistic health coaches. And she said to him, listen, I want to put you on a diet for 30 days. I want you to eat nothing but cold-pressed organic juices, fruit, and vegetables. That's it. And he was willing to try anything. You know, he was obviously so concerned and he was getting radiation for his thyroid cancer. And he's, he went on this 30-day um, transformational plan that she put him on. And he felt like a different person. 30 days later, his doctor said, whatever you're doing, keep doing because your blood's getting better. You're doing great. And he ended up beating the cancer. And he completely attributed it to the fact that he changed his diet. He, from that point on, changed his diet for good. And he was living two houses down from me at this point. And he would come, he knew I was in the food business. Our our sons played basketball together. So I used to see him at the basketball games all the time. But he would literally come to my house knock on my door and say, Jeff, you got to try this green juice I just made. And I was like, and he'd hand it to me and I'd smell it. And it just smelled terrible. <laughs> like not thinking this. And he'd say, no, you don't get it. And he had veins popping out of his neck and his head. He said, you don't get it, Jeff. It's not the way that it tastes. That's important. It's it's how it makes you feel. Yes. <laughs> and I said, Barry, if you're looking to sell this, it's not, it's gotta taste great. Nobody's going to buy it. And we kind of joked about that, you know, a lot. And, um, he was very persistent. He kept coming to me saying, "Listen, we've got to do something with this cold pressed juice. I'm telling you it's a, it's a game changer changed. It saved my life, blah, blah blah." And I really didn't understand what he was talking about. You know I, At the time there were no cold pressed juice bars, so it wasn't anything I could reference. Um, I was kind of busy with my salad business, so I just kind of I kind of blew it off. And this went on for like a solid year, maybe even a year and a half. And then one day, I read an article in like nation's restaurant news about a company that starbucks bought called evolution fresh they had one location in seattle and starbucks bought them for 25 million dollars and i said there was a cold press juice bar And i was like wow that's interesting you know why is starbucks they're pretty smart guys why are they buying a concept for 25 million bucks there's one location and it's something you know now i have something i could probably reference so i literally got on a plane i went to seattle and i went to evolution fresh And I sat there for two days and what I saw and what I witnessed and what I heard just opened my eyes and amazed me. So I saw people coming in and leaving with two, three, four, five juices at a time, you know, $10 a juice. So I'm like, wow, that's an amazing average ticket. I'm selling salads for, you know, 10 bucks a pop. I get, you, you buy one salad for lunch and you're out the door. And These people are spending $30, $40, $50 at a pop, and I'm stopping everyone that walked through the door, and I'm saying, you know, hey, why do you come here? And I was hearing the same thing over and over again. It was, I have cancer, I have heart issues, I have arthritis, I don't feel good, and this makes me feel better. And I was like, whoa, you know, why do people have to wait till they feel sick till they start to eat food that can make them feel good? It just made no sense to me. And it was like a light bulb went off and I came home and I said to Barry, I said, okay, I get it now. I understand what we need to do. I said, we could do this. We can, and we can do it better than they're doing it. And we could have something amazing. I said, let me do what I do, which is create the brand, find the location, get the store open. I said, you be, you know, kind of the face of the brand because your story is amazing. And we shook hands and went partners and found the first location. And that was in Boken on Glades Road. And we had budgeted. We said if we could do $750,000 in sales out of that store, then we've got, you know, out of 1,200 square feet, then we've got something good. And um, about two months before we opened, so we were, you know, under construction, I had a partner in my salad creations business, a guy named Steve Schaefer. And Steve was the former president of Quiznos. He took Quiznos from like 15 locations to 5,000 locations when they sold half of the company for like a billion and a half dollars. And he uh, invested in some, you know, small companies as as like his own kind of private equity fund. And I had met him through somebody that I knew and we became friendly and he kind of became a mentor to me. And he ended up investing in the salad creations business, um, you know, right after the the 2009 disaster, you know, the goal was to try to, you know, build that business and salvage it and, you know, grow it. And as we, so I called him to let him know what I was doing. He was living in Denver at the time. So I said, look, Steve, I just want to let you know, I'm doing a uh, organic cold press juice bar here in And He said, Jeff, you're not going to believe this. He said, but I'm on day three of a seven day juice cleanse right now that he had ordered from blueprint, which was like the first online company that was selling juice, you know, where you could buy a cleanse. He said, I love that space. He said, you know, could I join you guys? I said, you know, sure, come, come to Florida, sit with me and Barry and let's, let's talk about it. And he did. And we, the three of us became partners and we opened the first store. And as I said, our budget was $750,000 in sales. And the first year we did $2.1 million out of 1200 square feet. We were like, and we were learning the business, figuring it out. It was definitely a different animal with number one, being organic and number two, making your own juice, you know, from scratch with a cold pressed juicer, which is a big machine that you use to make the juice. You know, we had a lot, there was a, there was a big learning curve there for us. So we took our time. um, That store went on to do the next year, two and a half million and the following year, $3 million in sales. So it's like probably the highest grossing juice bar, you know, in the country, I would say. And at that point, Steve and I were like, "Look, we need to focus on this business, and let's get let's get out of the salad business." So we sold the salad business um, to put our energies in this. And Steve actually moved from Denver to South Florida, and we opened two more locations in 2015, uh, in one in East Brooklyn and one up in Palm Beach Gardens. And we continued to see success. You know, our average unit volumes were. You know, over a million and a half dollars out of 1, 12, 1300 square feet, which are, you know, pretty amazing numbers for a fast casual concept. And so we kept growing uh, to the point where we're at today, which is 10 locations. And we decided pre COVID that we were going to launch our franchise. You know, obviously we didn't know COVID was coming. We had been working on the franchise launch for probably six months. Um, so there's a lot of work involved in becoming a franchisor, a lot of legal work and preparation. So we had been working on launching our franchise plan. And in January of 2020, we launched our franchise plan and we announced that we were franchising and we had hired, you know, some, uh, some people to help us with the franchise, you know, outside consultants to help us with the franchise growth. And, our plan was to grow slowly. We weren't looking to be the fastest growing franchise company in the world. You know, We really only wanted to be in the Southeast to start, basically from Florida up to Atlanta, to Charlotte, to you know, potentially Virginia, and to Texas. And that was it. We were only going to sell those, those markets. And we sold two franchises prior to March 15th. March 15th was the day that the government announced you know, that the restaurants were shutting down. So we had sold two franchises locally in uh, South Florida and then March 15th hit and our business dropped 45% again, like overnight. And we were definitely a little panicked. We, We thought we were maybe going out of business. So we, you know, we huddled up and said, okay, look, let's, let's put our energy where it needs to be right now. Let's, let's forget it. Let's stop franchising. Let's focus on our corporate stores. Let's, you know, get our expenses as low as we can get them. You know, our plan was let's not get rid of anybody. If we can, you know, not, not have to terminate anybody. We don't want to do that, so, which we didn't. And we did things like we got rid of our corporate office. We had an office where we used to go every day and work. And we said, you know what, we're going to, we our, our lease happened to be up like the next month. We said, let's not renew it. Let's save that money. We'll work out of the stores. Um, we were again, fortunate in the stores that, most of our businesses grab and go, you know, people don't really sit and dine in our restaurants. Occasionally they do, you know, they'll sit or sit outside and we've opened um, storefronts. So again, we got really lucky with that because nobody wanted to be at the time in a confined space. People were so nervous about COVID. So the fact that we had the open doors that helped us a lot, the fact that we were grab and go and, prior to COVID, we had already launched third-party delivery and a, and a raw juice app. So we we had kind of been lucky to have all the right things in place at the right time. And what we saw real quickly was our sales started to go back up like every week pretty quickly to like the point where after like three or four months from, from March, our sales were actually up over 2019 and continuing to go up. Now, probably because we were in a healthy space, probably because we had done all the right things with delivery and the app and those kinds of things. And we also did all the right things when COVID hit, we got involved in the community. We started to feed the front lines. We fed over 20,000 frontline hospital workers. We got a food truck. We partnered with um, Brandon Marshall, a football player to, to go and feed as many hospital workers as we could. And it was incredible. So we were, we were looking back doing all the right things and it definitely benefited our business. Um, And, then we got through it and we're now at the point now where we're saying okay let's start we can now get back to franchising you know we've got two franchisees we actually have one whose store is opening in Fort Lauderdale in about a month and um, we have another one who's about to sign his first lease so um, Pembroke Pines was an interest which we just opened uh, about two three weeks ago so that was a corporate store lease that we had signed prior to COVID happening Uh, And we had a prospective franchisee that we were working with, a fellow named Phil Wheeler. Phil was uh, in the NFL. He was a linebacker for the Dolphins and the Atlanta Falcons and Colts. Super good guy. He lives right by the Pembroke Pine store. And we were talking to him about being a franchise. He had approached us about franchising prior to COVID. And we were talking to him, but we hadn't, you know, inked the deal or anything. And then when we stopped franchising, we started talking about, hey, you know, Let's do a joint venture in the Pembroke Pine store. And we did. We did a joint venture, and he's been an amazing partner so far. Him and his wife, Ashley, are both um, social media influencers. So they've done an amazing job helping you know, build the awareness around that location and getting a lot of their NFL and NBA friends to come and visit the store and and post and kind of get that buzz going. So um, that's been a really successful partnership so far now, you know, obviously the store is brand new and we've got, we've got a lot of work to do on making sure that that store is super successful. And, um, we are slowly getting back into the franchise game. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, we're not looking to be the fastest growing company. There's, you know, I've lived that and my partner, Steve lived that, and that's not who we want to be. We want to be slow and steady, get the right passionate franchisees, people that live and die for the brand, you know, put, make sure we've got all the systems in place, and slowly get the stores open as we continue to also grow through corporate stores.
0: Right. Now, what a fabulous story. And and so what are the store expansion plans, either franchise or company? What does the future look like here?
1: So, like, as I said, we're at 10 locations today. We've got uh, four locations, leases signed that we're doing corporately that will open over the next probably 12 to 18 months. And the plan is to probably sell maybe four or five franchises over the next 12 months. Again, as I said, we're, we're being extremely picky. We get our phone rings every day for people wanting to buy a franchise. You know, when you look at our closest competitor in the space, their average unit volume is about $800,000. So ours is literally double the next best. Concept out there that's already franchising. You know, there's other concepts out there that are growing like crazy. They're they're selling 150 franchises. Um, they're trying to be the the fastest growing guys, and that's that's their model. And God bless them. You know, but that's. You know, not for us, it's though it's tempting when you see that and you go to a conference and you hear about how they're opening up 40 stores this year, you know, and they're averaging the volumes $580,000. And I'm going, wow, you know, that's that just seems like a recipe for disaster. And, and I don't, you know, we're not looking to go down that path, we're looking to build a really valuable company whose all our stores make a lot of money and continue to to do that. And, and it's got to be laser focused on what we're doing. And we got to make sure we got the exact right franchise partners or we don't need the franchise. We don't need the money. We, you know, we don't need any of the headaches if if it's not the perfect franchisee with the perfect locations, we're not interested.
0: Okay. And we're going to, we're going to pull on that thread a little bit later, um, just about exactly what you look for in a prospective franchisee, but let's go back to the differentiator. Um, you know, Cold-pressed juices seem to be kind of on the rise. The behemoth Whole Foods does it. I'm seeing it in grocery stores now, and you're saying, you know, there's probably other outfits out there which are expanding. So how is raw juice, cold-pressed juices different from other such products? I would put kind of jamba juice in there. I don't think they're cold-pressed.
1: No, they're how,
0: how are you different?
1: Well, one of the first, besides just the cold-pressed juices, so, so we – early on, Barry made the comment like, hey – I'm not about counting calories. I'm about counting chemicals, right? Our whole business was built on the fact that we there' zero chemicals in any of our products in our stores. We're one hundred percent organic when we can't get something organic, which is pretty rare, but it happens, it goes up on our board in the stores and we we you know we're completely transparent with our guests to let them know like, hey, You know, today, strawberries are non-organic. And the only reason they would be non-organic is, like I said, if we can't physically find organic strawberries. It's rare, but it happens. Um, So that's a big differentiator for us, like compared to like a Jamba Juice who's using, you know, syrups or using um, GMO products in their food. So, you know, we don't compare ourselves to like a Jamba Juice whatsoever. You know, we would compare ourselves more to, I guess, other cold-pressed juice companies that are out there. And, you know, differentiators for us, again, we don't, we don't process our juice whatsoever. So there's a process called HPP, high pressure um, process, which it's not a bad process whatsoever because, because the, um, pasteurization process doesn't touch the actual product so you make your juice put it in a bottle it gets pressed you put it into like a submarine looking machine that's filled with with water and like millions of pounds of pressure pressed down on your bottle of juice and that kills any bacteria that would be in there so it's actually something we're looking at but right now that's a big differentiator for us our product only has a three-day shelf life From the time we make it in our commissary, which let's say we make the juice today in our commissary, it's at our stores tonight, we're selling it tomorrow, and it's got a three-day shelf life. So it's it causes challenges. You know, we it's definitely not the same as if you have a month or two-month shelf life for your product. It definitely causes um you know inventory management challenges, which we're pretty good at, but um could be could be better, I guess. So that's a big differentiator for us. Our people are a huge differentiator for us. If you ever come to one of our stores, you'll see the people that work there, they're all extremely passionate about the, the brand and the product and the lifestyle. And we hire on lifestyle. If you don't live the lifestyle, meaning you don't eat organic foods, you know, raw foods, it doesn't mean a hundred percent you have to do that, but you've got to really understand the lifestyle, you've got to be healthy, you've got to exercise, all of those things, you know, we're not we're not gonna hire you. I mean, that's what we're looking for, right? So our people are really passionate about our our brand and our product. Um our, our product is amazing, and again we're not we've we've grown to this point by not franchising, which I think gives us a little bit of an edge over our franchise competitors because we can, we've been able to control the brand so tightly at this point
0: and I tell you, Jeff, I absolutely endorse everything you're saying. My wife and I are mainstay customers to a store in western. We go there all the time. We love the buzz the excitement, you know, the customer service. I mean, obviously the juices are fabulous and the food is very pleasing to the palate. That's the thing when you're kind of on your path to more plant-based food is to make it more interesting. And I got to tell you, really, you've done a fabulous job at that. And we were there at the Pembroke Pines one, so we're right three minutes away from where we live. So... Fabulous so you, you brought up the
1: other major differentiator for us. So we're also all about taste. So we have, we've hired, from day one, we hired a chef, an outside chef consultant. Her name's Chef Rachel. She's from Orlando. She's incredible. The things that she can create, like, we'll, we'll say, like, for instance, we wanted to recreate a, um, a Nutella, right? Like, I have kids. My kids will say, oh, Dad, why don't you have Nutella? And I say, well, Nutella's not healthy. So I tasked Chef Rachel. I say I want you to create a healthy version of Nutella, and she'll work with dates and honey and and maple syrup and things that are that are really healthy, that are organic, and she'll create a sauce that tastes as good, if not better, than Nutella. That's completely healthy. So I think our flavor profiles are a huge differentiator for us. You know, I think everybody says oh, our food tastes the best, right? Everyone thinks that. I mean, I I really do. You know, if you you know, we we have. Um, a software platform called Tattle that we use to get guest feedback from, from all of our guests. And we get 50 to 60 responses per day and maybe 85, 90% of those, you always see your food tastes amazing. It's amazing. You know, so that's something that we definitely believe is a differentiator for us is the taste and also the design of our stores. You know, we don't, we build out amazing looking stores that that create an amazing environment that go with the product. But our product is not inexpensive. You know, at 10 11 bucks for a juice, at 12 13 14 for a bowl, it's not inexpensive because we're using all organic um, fresh products. It's expensive to do that. It's expensive for us to make it and therefore it's expensive um, in perception compared to a non or like a jamba juice, a non or a planet smoothie, you can't compare us to them because it's completely different animals. Um, but that's, you know, we want to be that provider. We want to be the provider of people that really care about what they're putting in their bodies and don't mind paying a little bit more for that because they know it's worth it to take care of themselves.
0: No doubt. And the other, the other thing, environmental sustainability is a real imperative for oil juice. That was one of the attractions for my wife and I to, to continue to go to the store and, and um, you know, and, and try the juices, et cetera. But tell us how the company is doing your part for environmental, environmental sustainability. Sure. So, you know, we've
1: made a, a big effort. I would say when we first started, it probably wasn't, on, you know, the top of our minds. To, to, and then as we got involved in the business and we said, you know, this business, we're organic. It's got to be environmentally friendly. Right. So we made a bunch of changes. We changed our cups to be compostable. Um, we changed our bowls. The acai bowls are, are made out of bamboo. Um, so pretty much everything, even our bottles, we, we do use plastic bottles for our juices, but they are um, compostable bottles. So everything we do is environmentally friendly i think we can always continue to do better and and as we learn more and more products come out that are available to the market again we're not looking to chance if we can if a product costs us a little bit more but it's more but it's better for the environment we're all about that we're not going to not do it because it's a little more expensive and that's that's in our dna at this point
0: got it all right so let's get your personal opinion i've seen profound documentaries Jeff, such as forks over knives and game changers, amazing on the significant health benefits of a pure plant based diet. And of course, we know, you know, in the US, we've got 40% US obesity rate, 10% diabetes rate. So, what's your opinion of those claims?
1: So, part of our training, we, we have what's called Happy You training for our franchisees and for like our management, is we actually show. Game changers and forks over knives. Those we believe that those it's those are such eye opening yes um, documentaries. When you watch that, you're literally like, oh my god, how could I eat you know meat or how could I eat chicken? Um, it's it's eye opening. So I believe one thousand percent that those are accurate, and I believe that you know one of the things raw juice did for me was it definitely changed the way I lived my life and how I personally ate. Um, I still eat too much, but I eat better. You know, I, I went from eating zero organic foods to probably eating 80% organic foods. And I cut back my, I barely eat red meat. You know, I'll eat chicken occasionally. I do eat fish still. But it definitely changed my um, my lifestyle. And I think with kids today, you know, having four young, you know, 20 down to 15-year-old to kids they're way more knowledgeable than we were when we were kids. We didn't have the availability of things like that to understand. You know, we, we ate meat, potatoes, and that's, you know, you got to yeah. finish. I think they've got all the information in front of them, and they're making much better eating decisions than we were able to make. So if we can be at the forefront of that, and we can make our product taste great in an environment that kids enjoy, I think I think we're ahead of the game. So we believe in that wholeheartedly, 1,000%.
0: Now, it's a great point because when we visited your, your store, the Pembroke Pines opening, one of, the, one of the things that your district manager was talking about was the training element of this and perhaps even putting some video on educational um, you know, videos out there. So the, the youngsters do know more. There's still many, many fast food joints which are kind of on the unhealthy side. What education do you think still needs to happen to shift these statistics, Jeff?
1: Oh, well, I think just continued movies and documentaries that come out that can educate these kids. And I think more people that are outspoken about it, um, you know, if you're on social media, you know, there, there's like a woman I follow called The Food Babe. And she's, she calls out these companies. She's got a huge following now. She'll call out General Mills on their cereal advertisements. You know, they'll, they'll have a box of cereal and they'll advertise, you know whatever, all the calcium, you know, a kid needs to grow or whatever it is. And meanwhile, in that cereal box is 20 different cancer-causing chemicals, right? So, you know, on one hand, they're trying to tout themselves as, you know, hey, look what we can do for your kids, and, you know, we can make them healthy. At the same time, they're poisoning them. So I think those kinds of things, they need – the government needs to get more involved. We need to make changes. I think the United States is so far behind the other countries in the world, like Europe – you know the products that we're selling are, are banned in Europe, half of them, you know, these chemicals. So I think that those things have to change. You, you, you can't keep hiding things in kids' foods to make them t- to look good or taste good, or be attractive to kids while you're, while you're basically poisoning them. I think that the government has to make changes, and I think more concepts have to evolve like ours that are only putting good things into, their, into the food for the people to eat.
0: Absolutely, Jeff. Here, here. All right. So let, let's switch to uh, what makes Raw Juice such a great franchise opportunity. And I want to I obviously focus on Raw Juice, but also your experience in the franchise world about, you know, prospects who are looking for a franchise object. What makes a great franchise opportunity and why does Raw Juice fit that bill?
1: So like if I have when I have friends that come to me, tell me they're looking at a franchise or something. I said, look, the first thing you've got to understand is the financials. It's the number one most important. You're buying a business in essence. So that's number one. Do the financials make sense? For raw juice, the financials are very attractive. In our FDD, which is our franchise disclosure document, there's what's called an item 19. In your item 19, you can choose what you want to disclose or what you don't want to disclose to prospective franchisees. A lot of companies will put like I don't know if I want to call them misleading, but they'll shape an item 19 to make them look more favorable. They might put the top five stores in their chain and say, hey, this is what you could make. What we have chosen to do is we have listed every one of our stores, complete P&Ls in our item 19. So you can see top to bottom how our stores are doing, what they're doing, what our food cost is, what our labor cost is, what our general expenses run, et cetera. So that way, as a franchisor, somebody selling a franchisee, the only financial information I can discuss with a prospect is what's in the item 19. So number one, I can basically talk about anything related to our finance, you know, our store's financials because it's in the item 19. So that would be my biggest advice to somebody is make sure you understand completely the financial picture that you're getting involved in. Number two, do they have experience franchising? You know, we do, right? So my partner was in franchising for 30 years. I've been involved in franchising for, you know, 12, 13 years. Um, I would say that's super important because you got to know that they're going to put the people and the systems in place to be able to support the franchisees. Um uh, are the franchise or just selling franchises to sell franchises? I think if you come across that, and, and again, this I'm giving general statements. There might be companies out there that are selling like crazy and doing amazing. I hope they are. God bless them. I just think it's something. It's just another red flag to look at. You know, are they selling to anybody? Are they just growing like crazy? You know, for the sake of growing, um, or are they being really picky with who they're selling to and making sure that their franchisees are successful. So our first franchise store is opening in a month. I will tell you that our corporate team is going to be all over that store as if it were our own store. I literally had a meeting yesterday. I said, guys, make sure you understand this franchise needs to be treated like our own store times 10 like we need to be, we, we want to get to the point where the franchise is like, all right, guys, leave, leave me alone. I got it. You know, everything's good now. Like, we want to be there and make sure that, that they've all the little things and the little problems that we deal with at a store opening that we're there to help them through and, and make sure that they are as successful as possible.
0: And this is your brand reputation as well, Jeff.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. It's our brand reputation. So, I would say those are the biggest things I would look for, you know, when looking at a franchise concept.
0: Right, and what do you, what does Raw Juice look for in a prospective franchisee?
1: So let me tell you this: the two franchises we sold were somewhat similar in the sense that the first one we sold was a father and son. The son is a very, very healthy life. You know, lives the lifestyle, has worked for us for over a year now, so knows the brand, is you know, bleeds the brand, has Raw Juice in his DNA. His father's a successful businessman who's also planning on being, you know, somewhat involved, but his son is going to run the restaurant. We've trained him literally for over a year. So that's number one. The second one is one of our general managers who's worked for us for two and a half years, who has a financial partner that he brought in, who also is in the retail business. So they know retail, they know South Florida where they're opening, which is like northern South Florida. Um, But again, the consistent theme there is both of these guys have worked in the raw juice system for a long time and are very familiar with it, understand it, live it, bleed it. So Uh that's to give you an idea of, you know, like to me, the ideal scenario would be every one of my GMs became a franchisee. Because they've they've been running stores, they live it. They're amazing people. They work hard. They love the brand. I would love them all to own their own franchise.
0: Absolutely. And and as part of your wisdom by Jeff, you really focused on passion. Lots of passion. Tell us a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah. So when you you know people do business with people they know, like and trust, right? So when you're passionate about your business, that comes out. You know, you can tell someone who's passionate, someone who's not. Like our gems are. Passionate about our business. Our franchisees are passionate about their business. That puts you so far ahead of somebody who's just buying a business because the bottom line, right? Because you've got to be passionate. You've got to get out in your community. Community involvement is a really big part of our business, it's a really big part of building our business. And if you're not passionate, you're not out in your community, people are going to feel that and they're not going to support you. If you are passionate, you believe in what you're doing, you're part of your community. The community will get behind you and support you, and you will you will be successful. So, passion. Again, we don't want a franchisee that bel- that that's a McDonald's franchisee that's selling something that we don't believe in, right? They might have all the money in the world, but they're not the right franchisee for us. They don't they don't live unless maybe they've sold their McDonald's because they didn't believe in it anymore and they want to change their lifestyle. That's a different story, right? Or maybe it's the son of the McDonald's franchisee who's a triathlete who says, dad, I'm not eating McDonald's, I wanna eat this, let's do this business. That's the kind of people we're looking at, passionate about the food, the process, the product, and the concept.
0: Wonderful, great answer. All right, we'll move to the next section here, Jeff. What would you change in any area of life, not just business?
1: What would I change in any area of life, not just business? Well, that's a great question. I do spend a good amount of time with my kids, but I probably would say, you know, I'd want to spend more time with my family. You know, I, I really love my family. I love hanging out with them and spending time with them. Um, obviously we live busy, hectic lives. So at times that's challenging. So if I could spend more time with my family, I would change that. I think. And, um, you know, my, my dad recently passed about seven months ago. We were very close. And like, I kind of thought for a second, like, would I, would I say I want to spend more time with my dad? But I, did, I spent so much time with him. I was fortunate that he lived around the corner. And I was blessed to be able to spend a ton of time with him. So I don't think that, um, yeah, I would say just spending, being able to spend more quality time and experiences with my family.
0: Likewise, likewise. Okay. What are you grateful for? in any area of life, not not just business.
1: <laughs> so I'm definitely grateful for my family. I'm grateful for the fact that I'm happy that I'm doing something I'm happy about every day work-wise. So it doesn't, you know, doesn't, I tell my kids all the time, it doesn't feel like work. If you're enjoying what you're doing, if you're happy and you love what you're doing, you're not going to feel like you're going to work every day. And that's always something that's been important to me. And I, I, you know, feel, I focus on making sure that I enjoy what I'm doing or I'm not going to do it. Um, so I would say that.
0: That's great. Great answer, Jeff. Thank you. All right, the quick round. So when you assess a business opportunity in the restaurant industry, we're going to mix it up a bit because the past has been restaurant and now franchise. And you can combine this answer, restaurant slash franchise. But when you assess a business opportunity, what are the top three non-negotiable requirements that you look for?
1: So I would look for is the, is the concept on trend. Is it something that is forward thinking and not necessarily, you know, like, like again, my McDonald's example, you know, I I wouldn't, I'd have zero interest in owning a McDonald's, but if you showed me a concept that was forward thinking and that I believe was on trend, that would be probably the first thing that would attract me. Second thing would be clearly financially is it does the concept make sense financially. Uh, And third thing would be the people involved. Are these people that I'd want to be, you know, involved with in business because business is like a marriage and if you're going to get involved with people, you better make sure that you know you guys are going to uh, get along and figure out how to how to work together.
0: Perfect. Okay. All right. So you mentioned at the outset you made some big mistakes, probably not only in franchise kind of industry but also in restaurants. So Jeff, just share with with the audience here. Either your one to three, pick one. Your one to three biggest mistakes, blind spots, and or learnings in the in the franchise and and restaurant industry?
1: So I'd say the biggest mistake I made was, so I started salad creations in 2003. We were pretty much the first fast growing salad concept in America. And we were a little bit ahead of our time, but what I didn't do there was because I franchised so early on and I had a lot of pressure from franchisees on cutting costs and, and those kinds of things, I didn't evolve the brand the way I should have. So there's a, there's companies out there like Sweet Greens. I don't know if you've heard of them, but Sweet yes. Greens is a yeah. um, salad concept that started after I did. They did an incredible job of positioning themselves as kind of the higher-end salad. They were locally, you know, they, they promoted locally grown food. They promoted some organic foods. And they've got, first of all, they've got over a billion-dollar market cap. So that's something. And second of all, they just did it right, you know. And that's what I learned from that. It's what I'm doing with raw juice. Is we're doing it right. And that's probably the biggest mistake I made. I would say in my career, looking back, if I could have changed something, I would have changed that um, and grown that brand in a in a different direction.
0: Got it. Any other wisdom bites on blind spots? Um,
1: I think, you know, blind spots. I think it's really important that you understand what you're not great at and you find you surround yourself with other people that are great at your weaknesses. And that's how you build a good team. So I think early on, it took me a while to understand that. Um, like, for instance, I am just not great with financials. I'm not like a, a CFO kind of guy. I'm not, and I need a good, financial person around me to help you know understand numbers and make sure that we're doing everything we can to maximize our numbers and, and run our business the best we can so you know I've, I've done that later in my career and it's definitely been helpful so i think that's I
0: so important jeff i'm so happy you said that about just knowing what we don't know right and mm-hmm. and um, institute you know
1: what you don't know and, and and it's okay to not be the smartest guy in the room you know, ask questions and learn from everybody
0: absolutely great advice all right and so on that point what are the critical performance indicators that you track carefully? Just two or three. When you when you get a franchise opportunity, it can be in the restaurant industry. What are the key things you look for, for from a performance indicator standpoint? KPIs. Right. So KPIs in our
1: business, you know, the two biggest uh, expenses that you you really look at are your food cost and your labor yep. cost. Those are your two biggest controllable expenses. So those are the two. Biggest expense lines I would look at. And the third, the the other biggest thing I would look at is your top line, is your sales, right? Like are you doing a sales number that it's worth getting involved in that business? You know, because in the restaurant business, it's it's a it's a pennies and nickels and dimes business. And you've got to manage your business really tight and you've got to have a good top line. Cause sales the higher your sales are the uh easier it is i guess to mask some of your mistakes right like you can you know volume makes up for your for your errors so you want to have a high volume business that's able to run great food and labor costs and if you have that you've got a successful
0: restaurant and and you made two points when we first started about the square footage of the restaurant how important is the link between your your top line and square footage
1: so that that's actually your third yeah uh, your your after food and labor that's your third biggest expense is your rent. So yeah. every foot especially in today's real estate market where real estate is, is very expensive the markets we're looking in real estate's extra expensive. So the difference between 1200 and 1500 square feet can mean you know can mean a, a point to a point and a half on your P&L. So I think you know getting the right size location managing your numbers all of those things or what leads to success or failure
0: great answer okay which business leader do you admire and perhaps aspire to emulate and why
1: wow that's a great one um so i would say in the restaurant business um steve l is the founder of chipotle i think he's done an incredible job with chipotle again i don't you know he's convinced the american population that Chipotle was healthy, you know, like they, they did an incredible job convincing people that that product was healthy. I don't know that it necessarily is healthy. You could obviously eat healthy there if you choose, but what he's done is, you know, he really took and built the fast casual business, which is why I look up to him. I just think what he's, what he was able to do with a burrito concept, you know, that was really not that much different than any other burrito concept, you know, to build it into a multi-billion dollar, I I I think they're like a $15 billion uh, market cap, or maybe even more at this point, is probably more. Um, I think what he's done is incredible. So I would say, from a restaurant standpoint, probably uh, him. And from a non-restaurant standpoint, I would, uh, I, w- I would have to say my dad. My dad is sort of my uh, my idol. You know, my dad was a, a successful uh, real estate business person and entrepreneur, and and always had integrity and always worked hard and. You know that's that's something I look up
0: to. Well, God bless you on that one, Jeff. That's that's beautiful. All right, when I when I when we first met, we first chatted. I looked at your bio, and um, I also found in your bio that you founded um, Atlantic Partners Corporation, an IT staffing firm, which is not a restaurant and it's not a franchise. I did. <laughs> Given your background in uh, in the restaurant and food industry, so why just start that?
1: So in 1999, I moved to South Florida to open up Lulu's Bay Shack in Fort Lauderdale. And I partnered on that location with some of the founders of Hooters. It's it's a real long story, but uh, we went 50, 50 partners. They were going to run this, the location. I had to train them. My team trained them on how to run it. And um, once they ran it, we were going to be out of the day to day. They were going to operate it. And, you know, mentally, I thought that would be like, you know, because, again, I, I didn't know any better. I thought that would take like, you know, a year or two years. Literally, took, these guys own like 80 restaurants. They were extreme professionals at what they did. They're great guys. They, they were running the restaurant in three months better than I ever could have run the restaurant. You know they, That's one of the places where I learned about systems and procedures. And they were just very good with accounting and the financials and learned a lot from them. And literally after three months, I was done. I was like, okay, you know the, the, the restaurant was making really good money. Um, I wasn't really working day to day anymore. So I was just kind of trying to figure out what I was going to do. And... I had my college roommates had started a headhunting company in in New York city and they had done very well with it. And I had just moved to South Florida and I was seeing all these New Yorkers move to South Florida at the time. So I was like, you know what, why don't I try a headhunting business? Don't know what made me think about it, but I just saw these guys do it. I I was my, well, my wife, my wife, now we were engaged. We were getting married you know, I knew we were going to have children soon, so I kind of thought mentally I wanted to get out of the big, full service. We were 50% food, 50% liquor. It wasn't the healthiest lifestyle, quite honestly, and I was like, I got to change my lifestyle. So I decided um, to open up a headhunting company, and I did it with my, my buddy from New York who helped me remotely get it started, and I, I brought a partner in down here in Florida, and we opened up, and we started making money from, from month one, literally, literally. And I hated it. I was just like, this is so not like after like two or three months, I was like, okay, and we were making good money. I was like, this is not for me. <laughs> I missed the restaurant business. It was in my blood, but I didn't want to do big box, full service, alcohol, fried food, et cetera, et cetera. That's how I came up with the idea for salad creations. Good and that team. was that was prior to fast casual really being like there was not a Chipotle in South Florida at that time, you know, there was Starbucks had just come. So there really wasn't like a ton of fast casual. So the one thing I will say, I was definitely in the forefront of the fast casual uh, space. I might not have done it properly and, and had the success of like a Chipotle or sweet greens, but I was, but I was definitely there in the forefront and you know, got to learn from your mistakes. Right.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, that, that was a big learning for you. I'm sure. Yeah. so, so, Jeff, just uh, just last couple of questions. But before I get there, you know, in the wisdom bite, you talk about great systems. All right. You mentioned it a few times. So just pull on that a little bit to the listening audience. When you say great system, that's a broad term. Sure. What do so you mean to,
1: today, in today's world, having great systems is a lot easier than it was back you know in the day. So everything technology has come such a long way and the restaurant business is really like one of the last businesses to get on the technology wagon. So what what I mean about great systems is we use a company called Joel. Back in the day, you'd have a, literally like a handwritten checklist. Every day you'd open your store and you'd check off, you know, did I clean the bathroom? Yes, did I, you know, so so that's a system was that checklist. Now it's all digitized. So now we literally, as you, it enables you to be able to grow. When you have one restaurant, you don't really need to have the best systems because you're there, you can run it, you know, everything's getting done. If you want to grow a brand and you don't have those systems in place, it becomes really difficult to manage and grow that brand. But if you've got, let's just say the jolt checklist and the pictures. So every day we're seeing the checklist is done in the morning, it's done um, post rush and it's done at closing and we're seeing pictures. Is, was our cooler filled properly? Was the line, you know, mopped mop that night, just those little things. So that's a basic system. Food inventory systems, being able to, you know, know your food costs, count your inventories and literally spit out a, a your food costs. That's a system. Labor management tools, you know, inputting your schedule, knowing what your budget is and being able to run your numbers according to a budget. Those are all systems
0: to All right, fabulous. Okay, last two questions and, and, and they're the same, but one for restaurant and one for franchises. So what's your parting advice, Jeff, that you would give to an entrepreneur looking to break into the restaurant industry?
1: So I would say the mistake looking back that I made when I was 21 and I opened my first restaurant, I had no experience. I just worked my butt off and I learned the business. If I had to do it all over again, I should have gone to work for somebody for a year to learn the business, to like a big corporation that's got it down to a science Chili's or someone like that, right? Like that I could have went to work for. I would have hated every day of it, but I would have been learning and building the foundation to be able to run you know, my restaurants more effectively. So I would say if you're looking to get in the restaurant business, you know, just like the, the two franchisees that we have, run, work in the business for at least a year before you open your own place.
0: Got it. And is that the same answer you'd give for, to an entrepreneur who's looking to break into the, the franchise business?
1: I think it depends on the business, the type of business it is and the type of training you're going to get, but definitely I would say listen to your franchisor because they've exp- they've gone through everything you could possibly go through. Learn from their experience, make sure you dig in and get as much training as you possibly can from your franchisor before you open your own business.
0: Awesome. Jeff, thank you so much. I mean, look, I can wish you nothing but the best. You're changing lives. You're changing the world to healthier um, eating habits, all right. And so, thank you so much, Chef. This was a wonderful session. Some great wisdom bites here, and uh, you know, as I said, keep changing the world, man. I, lo- I we we love your products, we love your juices. Keep doing what you're doing, man. It's fabulous.
1: I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for having such great energy and such a good vibe. I, you you made my day. I'm gonna have an amazing day because of you now. So I appreciate it. And keep up
0: keep up the great work. But. Uh, Love you very much, Jeff. Take care and thank you again. All the best. Thank you. Bye-bye. I hope that you found today's session valuable. If so, please follow me on Instagram at outram.richard and post your comments. Thank you again. Until the next podcast.